Hello and welcome to another episode of Tajin. I'm Graham Cornwell, a PhD candidate in history at Georgetown and the editor of Tajin. Before we get started today, I just wanted to remind listeners that in addition to streaming and downloading our podcast, you can visit tajin.ottomanhistorypodcast.com where we post blog entries, digital sources from the archives, music clips, and much more. The Algerian Civil War began in 1991 when a military coup canceled an election that was expected to bring Islamic Salvation Front, or FIS, by its French acronym, into power. It raged for over a decade and resulted in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Algerians. It was, in short, anything but funny. But in our episode today, we look at the brutal conflict from the surprising angle of humor. How did Algerians use humor to make sense of the violence ever-present in their daily lives? What sort of jokes did they tell about the war, and who was the butt of these jokes? Liz Perego, a PhD candidate in history at Ohio State University, joins the podcast today to talk about her research project, Laughing in the Face of Death, Humor During Algeria's Dark Decade, 1991-2002. to It explores how Algerians use humor to cope with the realities of the conflict and to offer sharp critiques of both government forces and Islamist rebels. Liz, welcome to Tajin. Thank you so much, Graham, for the kind introduction, and thank you for having me. We're joined, too, by Soha Alashi, a PhD candidate in history at Georgetown University who studies slavery in the French colonial Maghreb. Soha, thanks for joining us as well. Thank you for inviting me. Um, So, Liz, my first question for you is about the war itself. Um, What happened? When did it start? Why did it start? Who was involved? Sure. So the war began in 1991, and there's actually a lot of discussion among Algerians as to how to call the war. Was it really a civil war, a civil conflict, or was it simply a band of underground groups, armed groups claiming to represent um, the former feast that had been denied an electoral victory in January 1992, whether they should be seen as being a separate state or army, and therefore you could call it a civil war, or whether it should simply be known as the the time of terrorism, and whether these were simply criminals operating um, against the state and should not be viewed as sort of being a political entity. Um, So the war really uh, broke out after, uh, in in 1988, um, Algeria experienced what many Algerians today now view as a sort of early Arab Spring uh, with the October 88 revolution. Uh, which led to the political opening of the country to multi-parties after a single-party system that was in place since 1962. And at this time, uh, these uh, the Islamist, the country's Islamist movement, which had been operating underground, then came to the forefront uh, with a number of political parties, three in particular, but one, the FIS, um, gained a lot of support, particularly among those that felt that they were dispossessed. Um, and that's one of, uh, that's to use the term that Martin Evans and John Phillips use for their for their book about the civil conflict or the time of terrorism or the dark decade of the 1990s. Uh, and so they, the feast is kept from coming to power by the military. There's a military coup. A number of people lead, lead up to the legislative elections in December 1991 and January 1992 uh, decide or, or view themselves as being liberals and they don't want the feast to come to power. They're afraid that it might override their, their individual freedoms and liberties. Um, and then also the, the army as well. There are different theories as to why this happens, of course, um, but the, the military does step in and keeps the feast from coming to power, um, despite the fact that they had been in power um, in the municipal level um, since the middle of 1990. 
um, but this was for the national elections. Um, so the army steps in, stops the election. Some call it a coup d'etat. Others celebrate it and say that this was needed to keep um, Algeria democratic, which is an ironic thing to stop elections democratic. So it's one of the goals of the project is to look at some of these concepts. What is Islamism? What is democracy, according to Algerians? Uh, and then the war really begins with underground groups um, claiming to represent the defunct, the FIS is outlawed, the state outlaws the FIS. Um, the movement goes underground. They round up um, tens of thousands of civilians, the state, and puts them uh, the, that are accused of being uh, collaborators with the FIS or former FIS partisans or individuals who are going to incite violence or had incited violence. That's the accusation that the state makes. So they put them in camps um, in the south, and then there starts a rebellion among some of the different groups that are claiming to uh, represent the defunct FIS. Um, and so this leads to many groups forming, different groups sometimes competing with one another that are competing against the state. And that's why it's known as the dark decade, as it's seen as being really this sort of, this abyss and this moment of, of terrible events happening. So what drew you then to study humor specifically in the context of, um, you know, this sort of one of the most, the darkest and most brutal period in, in, in recent history? One of the things that really inspired it was just the shock at learning that there had been jokes um, during this period that was really terrible. And I first learned about it as an undergraduate at Tulane um, and then found out later by reading um, John Phillips and Martin Evans' book, Anger of the Dispossessed, in which they talk about some of the jokes. And then also there was a moment when I was in Algeria in 2009 for the first time um, going to, to work on a project um, to interview Mujahidat for an earlier project. Um, so former female fighters for the FLN during the War of Independence. Um, I was hanging out with an, Alger with an Algerian journalist, and journalists during the conflict were targeted by some of the underground Islamist, quote-unquote Islamist operate, uh, groups for having, uh, for being support supposedly supporting the state and supposedly supporting the coup in the military. And so they would be targeted by, although they insist that they were just simply expressing themselves, that they were liberal democratics and they wanted to... Um, they were opposed to political Islamism as a form of government and viewed that the feast was going to be violent and therefore they, um, so in some, in some ways, and some of them, not all, of course the j journalists were also split on the reaction to the military's intervention. Uh, so I was hanging out with the journalist who had actually been one of these journalists who had been threatened in the 90s. And it was really shocking this, this moment we're talking about, you know, we're going, we're driving out to a beach and he was pointing out these areas where people used to have picnics these areas, sort of forest areas where people would go and stop at the side of the road on the way to going to the beach. And he explained to me that this was a, a spaces that were no longer really used very often because people were still traumatized by the 90s and still, and still worried about going into sort of open spaces and that these were areas where people could not go. And then for some reason, we started talking about just the general everyday life during that period. And he started bringing up some of the jokes that, um, that he and some of his colleagues who were journalists who were also targeted uh, for assassination, there are about 97 journalists who were killed during uh, this, the Civil War, the Dark Decade, um, supposedly by quote-unquote Islamist partisans who are part of this, these rebel yeah. groups um, that were opposing the state. And so it was really surprising when he starts telling me jokes. Yeah, you know, we used to tell jokes. What lives long? What li has a shorter lifespan than a fruit fly? An Algerian journalist. And I was very shocked. And then a later one that I discovered, it wasn't one that he mentioned then, was you know, and this is one, there was a cartoon based um, from Ali Dilem. It's one of the famous cartoons that he put out, I think in 94. Uh, that is, what guy has oh, a pen in his hand, two dinars in his pockets, and then uh, has three bullets in his head. 
an Algerian journalist. And these are such dark jokes. And I was just so surprised that this happened. And at the time as well, I was actually living in Tunisia. And a few years later, after I had left the Algerian or the Tunisian Revolution and Arab Spring began in Tunisia and uh, the Jasmine Revolution began. And it was something that when I was also living there as well, I heard a lot of jokes about this really repressive regime under Ben Ali. And that's what kind of sparked the sort of question of humor. How does it function? Why do people use it? Um, and so that's really kind of what started the project was that and then also reading a bit about humor, but a very short blurb in um, John Phillips and uh, Martin Evans' book on the Algerian dark decade. And were people willing to talk to you when you interviewed them or were they reluctant? It depended on who I was trying to speak to. So journalists tended to be very open. The cartoonists themselves were very open and they had their, and some of them had been interviewed before for different projects. I talked to in total 66 individuals. Uh, but mainly looking at intellectuals in the in the capital of Algiers. In which language did you speak to them? Um, so we'd speak in both languages, and I would interview them about. I had semi-structured interview or um, semi-structured format for for the interviews for the questionnaires, um, and then just kind of getting a bit of the life stories, then getting into the topic of humor and trying to keep it very open. What was your experience? Um, that kind of thing. But mostly it was journalists, a few women, um, and that was simply because I could not go into neighborhoods or go into kind of do more an ethnographic kind of study and go in and start questioning people who were, or start asking questions of people who were perhaps of in a more working class background neighborhood like Bebelwed or Bedwizdad. It was it was too it's too sensitive of a topic. So there definitely are limits to what you can do when you talk about the dark decade. And it is it's important to talk about humor not being. It, number one, I mean, we talk about Algerian humor because it's, it's this way that people imagine the humor is sort of being a national thing. And I'm kind of pulling, I'm not trying to say that there wasn't a typically Algerian humor because Algeria is a very, very, very diverse country. And I wasn't doing interviews and I wasn't going into, for instance, talking to Tuareg or talking to Mozabites or talking to different different groups um, who ha- might have their own sorts of different types of humor. But really the jokes that have emerged are sort of being this emblematic of the period or being things that people point out as being representative of Algerian jokes or Algerian humor at the time. But um, I did speak to someone who was living in the Mitija, which was really kind of a center of a lot of the violence. And he said, we knew that there were jokes. He said, you know, we couldn't, we didn't laugh at anything. We really didn't laugh at what was going on because we knew that there were jokes circulating in other parts. We knew people were laughing at stuff and that they were, but we weren't able to because it was too real for us. It was too direct. He's like, I had classmates who were killed for not failing, like young women, you know, 14, 15. So I couldn't, or young girls, I couldn't, you know, we didn't really, we knew it was happening. So I think there's limits where laughter was, there's definitely places and spaces where laughter is absent. Yeah. Or people recognize laughter as being absent. You talk about the difficulties of going into these neighborhoods. Um, I mean, one thing that struck me about your depiction of the conflict, I guess, is is the intimacy, um, is this sort of, the skepticism uh, and suspicion of, of neighbors and of people within neighborhoods. I mean, how do, is there a relationship between the intimacy of the conflict and, and humor itself? I mean, the, then the way humor is communicated. I mean, it seems like you have to come from a similar understanding to get the subtlety of certain jokes. Yeah, it is something that I kind of view humor in the project as a means of forming communities are passing along messages that would reinforce people's belonging to a certain ideological group or, 
or backing or a certain kind of neighborhood. And it's true that the way that people were able to tell jokes mm-hmm. um, in the 90s from versus the 80s or versus earlier periods radically shifted. Um, so during the 1990s, anyone who was showing signs of possibly supporting the state or being too, um, and the term that was tossed out was Hizba Franza, so being too the party of the French or party of the French states, um, anyone who was seen as being too Western, whether it was having the satellites even your satellite dish in your house, having it pointed in the direction of, of where it would be picking up um, French television stations, that could be a sign that you could be pro-French and that could be something that could result in you being targeted. Working in the wrong sector, if you worked in education, you could be targeted. If you wore the veil, you could be targeted. There was also some group, and nobody knows who this was, um, but some group that was supposed to supposedly a, a sort of secular, radical secular group that was attacking women who were veiling in the 90s. So it, there were only a couple of um, women who were assassinated for that reason. But, you know, no matter what you could do, you could find yourself, you were living in a certain area. It's really important to keep in mind that the violence in the 90s across Algeria is not equal. Certain areas feel it much, much, much worse than others. There's certain areas, parts of, um, there's the Triangle of Death that was in the Mitija area south of Algiers. And so it was really, you know, that, that was a very strong, concentrated area of violence. And there is, Humor during this time really reflects that people don't know who's doing what and, and what's going on. And necessarily there's this this suspicion of your neighbor. And this is why I argue in my dissertation that that humor is working and jokes are working t- in tandem with um, conspiracy theories about who's doing what. And then also working in tandem with rumors that... Some that one group was had, was being really strong and was really um, was able to know if someone had whispered something to someone else, for instance, and there there would be a rumor that that person was attacked later that day. Um, and then there's also so there's a lot of this reflected in the jokes, the sort of question about who's doing what, and this question of sort of who gets to, and also just a bigger idea of the dissertation is who gets to speak um, for Algeria, and you see in jokes this question of who. Um, of who gets to uh, sort of this, uh, different ideas of what does it mean to be Algerian and are the armed groups still part of Algeria? Or are they not? Do we want to see them as being part of this community, this sort of national, imagine national community, or do we think that they're completely separate? Or do you want to kind of think about only the civilians who are not engaged are the ones who can speak or can or have the right to be um, to be Algerian? If that makes sense. And did you notice a difference between the ways in which women joke? and the ways in which men joked was it gendered at all see this is something that i there are some earlier jokes that i was able to uncover from the 70s and 60s that were gendered that women would tell specifically and then once you get to the 90s all i have are sort of and this is one of the nice parts about working on jokes is that there's no authors authorship it's one of the nice parts and also one of the challenges of doing it as a, a using them as a as a historical source um so that people can kind of say this is what i heard And this is just, I'm just going to repeat this to you. And then you can try to find that, jo- that joke in different sources with other, um, with other people that you're interviewing, other narrator- narrators that you're doing oral interviews with, um, or try to find it in newspapers. I found a few jokes in newspapers at the time, so you know that they were sort of concurrent, some of the um, caricatures also um, of the time. And that's part of this. So the dissertation really looks at both caricatures um, in newspapers, editorial new- cartoons as sort of being a more intellectual form of humor and popular form of humor being through um, through jokes. And these are sort of, when you talk about humor in the 90s, these are the two things that people bring up are the cartoons and the jokes. Um, so that's why I picked those two categories of, of comedy. 
And what your original question was that um, women. women. Yeah, okay, so in the nineties, I was not able to to get any indication. But the jokes themselves, and in terms of the use of humor, whether women were telling different jokes, mm-hmm. um, but there, there's a lot of gender and a lot of sexuality in the jokes. Lots of humor and lots of sexuality, mm-hmm. and lots of play and sort of reflections of civilians who are being targeted by um, the armed groups, um, whether the IS or the other one of the. Mm. Um, competing groups or um, or whether they felt that they were being attacked by the state or they were being threatened by the state. There's a sense of emasculation that goes on and that's really reflected heavily in the jokes. I mean, had their impressions of the war and their ability to relate to it maybe through the lens of humor changed over time, do you think? I, I pretty much focused on trying to get things that were kind of focusing on collecting sources from the past rather than the way that people would use humor today to talk about the past. Um, um, but some of the jokes are now being recycled. What's really interesting, some, especially the ones that are dealing with terrorism or dealing with some of the armed groups of the time are now being recycled to talk about um, ISIS and Daesh, and to, which is kind of an interesting. Um, and I found that people, when speaking about the dark deck, in, in terms of the way that it, when I would speak to people, um, I would say there's not a lot of humor now in reflecting back on it. People are still pretty pretty um, upset about what happened and they would get into personal stories of things that they had seen and it was not um, it wasn't there's not a lighthearted view of of looking back on the 90s there was comedy used at the time but I did not find through the conversations that I had that people can look back now with sort of a light they sometimes will still recite the jokes and laugh about it but it's about the jokes themselves but they won't you know it was still it's seen as being this period that was incredibly terrible for the country and I also look. I just want to like mention that because I haven't, we haven't talked about this, but the the project really does look at the shift in post independence era. The first two chapters look at the immediate post independence era, goes a bit into the colonial period, um, and kind of moves forward through in the sixties and seventies. We're really seeing humor as a as a way of sort of either representing or trying to foster, or as a reflection of an emerging or strong, not an emerging but a strong Algerian identity and national identity. And it's a tool that the state uses um, to try to shore up this identity and to try to also to counteract sort of French influence and to really kind of unite people under this this shared sort of Algerian identity. And one example is the children's review, Maqaydash, which is named after a popular character. But when they were creating that journal, it was under the FLN um, in the late 60s. They said, we really want to create an Algerians, Algerian sorts of of superheroes, Algerian sorts. We don't want blondes. There will be no blondes, even though there are blonde Algerians. There'll be no blondes. There will be no men with big chins, because I guess they thought that was like Gallic or French. You know, we really want these to be Algerian and Algerian stories, and that's reflected in the content of the material. Um, and so in the state, using even different people that sometimes would make fun of certain state institutions, Hajjah Abdurrahman, who uh, was known as Inspector uh, Tahar, who's a famous character who kind of makes fun of the police a little bit, the state would still have him on. Um, TV, a national TV, um, to do sketches. And one sketch in particular made fun of Boumediene's agricultural revolution. So there's really this sort of sense of making fun of the quote-unquote Algerian problems mm-hmm. and trying to create a sort of sense of Algerianité that supports the French state's, con- or not this, sorry, the Algerian state's concept. Um, and that's where I think the Kismalika Rahal, who's one of the foremost um, historians of the post-independence period in Algeria, um, talks about looking at these different competing concepts of Algerian, Algerianity or like Algerianness, um, and 
see sort of three tendencies or three um, strains and sort of the Islamist and then the um, sort of democratic, republican, communist strain, and then the third being sort of the state nationalist, pro-FLN, pro-one-party strain that comes through. And, and you don't, you can see the, that the nationalist strain kind of using humor in a way. But even the jokes sort of reflect this as well, this idea of the sense of that being Algerian is something particular and peculiar and, and unique. <laughs> Um, what is your favorite joke and why do you think and why is it your favorite so one of the jokes that I think is just funniest on a personal level um, and it's one that I've heard from I heard from a couple different sources uh, was a joke where and you have to understand that there's a curfew going on in some major cities throughout Algeria um, during parts of the dark decade and specifically Algiers and so there's a guy going out in his big car and he's kind of trolling for women at night in the middle of the dark decade which is something you really shouldn't do And the Embed was dead in Bokor in the neighborhood and in one of the major sort of popular neighborhoods and or working class neighborhoods in Algiers. And he's going out and he's really not expecting to see this, but he finds a woman on the side of the road who looks pretty nice, but she's wearing a niqab. She's wearing she's completely covered from head to toe. And he's like, Well, that's really unusual, but you know, I really, you know, I'm really looking to get some, so I should, you know, just pull over and talk to her. So he pulls over. Asks her, like, hey, do you want to ride? Do you want to talk? Do you want to blah, blah, blah? She doesn't really answer. So he goes, okay, well, why don't you kind of opens up the door. She gets in the car. It was a nice car. Starts driving, keeps talking. He's like, okay, this is nice. Like, you know, she's she's going along, going with the flow. This is cool. So he keeps talking to her, but she's not really, you know, she's not answering. But he's just taking it as, you know, well, she's in the car, so she's consenting or whatever. She's, you know, she's, you know, down to, I guess, have some fun tonight. And so he, he takes her out to the middle of an open of an open area, sort of an open field area outside of the city. And he stops the car, gets out, goes to the back, takes out a piece of cardboard, and he puts it down, you know, because he doesn't want to, like, you know, get busy on the, you know, on the ground. He wants to have something underneath. So he grabs the, you know, grabs the cardboard, puts it on the ground. As he's putting it on the ground, he hears a click behind him, almost like the click of a Kalashnikov. And he turns around, and the woman has taken off. The woman, quote-unquote, has taken off her niqab. And rather than it being a woman, it's actually a guy, a member of one of the terrorist organizations that was operating, who's holding a gun at his face. So he was just pretending he was trying to get out of the neighborhood. Apparently there had been a skirmish with the police and a raid, and so he was trying, and with the military, and he was trying to get out of that area. So he just threw on a niqab and was kind of trying to hide. And so he looks around, he turns to the guy, or he's, you know, looks around, sees the gun and goes, well, you know, like, don't you, you know, don't you want to come down and pray? <laughs> Which is that juxtaposition of religion and sexuality and religion. And yeah, so that, that's, I think, just a really kind of clever, a clever joke. And one that really pokes fun at the pervert, which is very, these sort of stereotypes of Algerian society come up again and again. And one of the major arguments I put forth is that jokes... There were some jokes that we could read as being resistance to either the armed groups or the military, some that kind of just openly make fun of them. But the vast majority of the several, I, I collected 76 jokes about the dark decade specifically, and I give kind of a more detailed definition um, in the dissertation. But they, the majority of them actually poke fun of civilians. And I see this as sort of a way of, 
because self-deprecation um, in Algerian jokes, and it's really hard to talk about Algeria as a category. So the reason I talk about it this way is because people themselves have said this is Algerian comedy and this is Algerian, but it's very, the jokes, for instance, I was working primarily in Algerian Arabic, I was not working, working in some of the dialects of Amazigh where there could have been different, the Sahara is a different, completely different part of the country and completely different culture and different regions themselves have different types of darija, different types of dialect. Um, but the majority of the jokes that I looked at would poke fun more at civilians as sort of a form of self-deprecation. And I think this was sort of a, perhaps a way of trying to exclude because self-deprecation was such a, a sign of sort of being Algerian even throughout the, and they would, there would be jokes about like there's an Algerian, a French guy and an American, like those kind of jokes that it is kind of creating this national identity and then moving into the 90s, I think this continuation of poking fun at oneself and poking fun at the civilians is sort of a way of creating, like, this isn't us, and we're not going to make fun of the armed groups, and we're not going to make fun of the state, and it's a way of kind of excluding. And I've had people say, during interviews, kind of say, like, I don't think that's right, and that's okay, so I kind of put that in the, to make sure kind of the different ideas and theories kind of come out. Were there any taboos that uh, people just did not address, even in the jokes? Or were the jokes um, a channel through which they could address anything? Uh, they are a way for, especially sexuality. There's a lot of jokes that are um, that use homo- uh, homosexuality as an insult. That's something that's really common in a lot of the jokes. And one of the ways, and also as a, as a means of effeminizing someone. So this is where you start to see this sort of sense that people felt. And of course, people in interviews would be like, no, we did not feel emasculated. We were fine. We were brave during this period but then the jokes kind of reveal this sort of anxiety of and there were men in the conflict who were our civilians who would get into what, what's called the fouberchage or the false checkpoints yeah. um sexually assaulted by the groups that were that were there um typically were believed to be um either the I, the as or the groups islamique armé the islamique armé the islamic um the armed islamic group which is really a conglomeration of groups So to get back to the original question, the um, just a general rule of thumb for when making fun of politicians, um, sometimes individual sexuality could be made fun of, but typically family members were not. That was the big taboo, sort of any family members or family circumstances. People don't really, you can't find jokes about um, about Shadli's, you know, people don't like Shadli's wife, but they're actually, most of the jokes during, and Shadli was the, this is uh, Shadli Benjadid, who was the um, the president through the 80s. Um, after Boumediene passed away in 78. And so he is the, um, really just this sort of, he's seen as being sort of a backwards, dumb president who was not very educated, who just kind of rose to power because of, he was the easiest person to pick and the most like politically neutral. So he ends up in power, you know, being the president of the country and people really didn't, um, didn't like him and saw him being in, in power as, is sort of a joke in and of itself. But people wouldn't, make fun of his family. And it was the same thing in terms of there aren't some of the cartoons make fun of um, a little bit of the families of terrorists, um, the quote unquote terrorists. So members of the um, underground quote unquote Islamist organizations um, that were rebelling against the state, the insurgents, um, they would make fun of that, but there's not that that's not made fun of in the jokes that are more sort of popular base. If I can give a really yeah, good joke, please. Um, There's a joke in which there's a fake checkpoint. The bus falls into a fake checkpoint, and uh, every the terrorists step onto the bus. This is the quote unquote terrorist, the way that the narrator says it. Terrorists step onto the bus, and he goes, "Okay, we're going to 
kill all the women and rape all the men. And he goes, oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait, that's not what I meant. I meant, and then in the, from the back, you hear a guy say, okay, that's it. He said, we're going to kill all the, kill all the women, rape all the men. That's it. <laughs> like, that's what you said. That's it. We got to stick with that plan. That's what you said initially. Can't correct. You can't go back on what you just said. So it's sort of this, the, that's a very kind of unmanly thing to do. To and say, I'd rather be raped than be killed and killed. Go ahead and kill the women. That's sort of like the women and children. Yeah. It's an opposite of sort of women of and children first. So, I mean, like, I sort of let out a little chuckle when I realized what the punchline of this joke was yeah. going to be. But do people, do people like sort of actively laugh about these things? You know, That's a, a good question because some of the jokes are just very, uh, I think they've been a bit, people aren't actively telling these, sometimes the jokes that, that make fun of the terrorist groups or the groups that were the, the rebellion, the, the groups in rebellion against the state that were viewed as being terrorist and viewed by the state as such and viewed by some members of society as such. Um, and of course others do not seem the same way, but um, those jokes that made fun of the, of these individuals or people that were trying to join them or people that were, um, or people that fall into like the, fo- the false checkpoints. Um, some of these are repeated. The ones typically that targeted those groups, because there are some groups that are still operating within Algeria. And so they do resonate. And now with the rise of the Islamic State and Daesh, uh, some of the, or Daesh's, which is the term that I prefer to use because I hate using Islamic State. It's dumb because that's what they want to be called. Sorry, side, side, side note. Um, but these, so some of these jokes have actually been, have now sort of been used, are being used now to sort of make fun of these new terrorist groups that are coming to the forefront, which is really funny because it's really, yeah, which is of course sort of a strange um, adaptation, but, or yeah, adaptation to a newer era. Um, but people don't, there are a number of jokes that are just very dark and we're not funny and people would not laugh at, and they seem more to be witnessing rather than, um, doing anything else. A really sad one is a guy falls into a fake checkpoint and they say the guy, the guys who are manning it, who appear to be soldiers, who knows, he doesn't know which side they're on. And he goes, who do you support? Do you support, do you support the police or do you support the Islamist rebellion? And the guy goes, makes a guess, okay, I think this is the the, middle of the state, so I'm going to say I support the police. So he says, I support this police. Turns out he actually was with the members of one of the armed organizations um, claiming to represent the former fee. So they cut his cheek to one side of his mouth. Belle in French, which is sort of, a, I don't know how to say that, like kind of like making a smile. It's kind of, yeah. But they let him go, they let him live. So he goes up, continues on his way, comes up to another checkpoint, this time he gets the same question. Are you with the Islamist rebellion or are you with the state? This time he goes, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say that I'm with the Islamist rebellion. Cause like it makes sense. They might be in this area. They might be operating with the group that I just saw. So he says, okay, I'm with the Islamist rebellion. Turns out he's with the police. So the police cut his other cheek. And when he goes to the hospital to get his cheeks stitched up, the doctor says, which one do you want to start with? Which, which cut do you want to start with? He says, start with my mouth so that I can no longer speak. And it helped to avoid these, like, getting in these situations again. So that's not really kind of a funny one. But some of the ones people did enjoy and people do laugh at the ones that make See, fun of See, I civilians. read that joke, though, and I kind of chuckle a little okay. bit. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I just thought well, it was, like, it like was such a good, darker, and it had such a, it came to I kind of punchline so well. I think it's, like, a darker set. That's it how is, John, is, John yeah. Phillips and Martin Evans quote that joke, and that's okay. something that they kind of, I think yeah. they point it to being kind of sad and pointed and witnessing. No, I mean. But that, but no, I can understand, I guess, the sign of subjective. But Algerians definitely the ones that make fun of some of the civilian groups, like the pervert. Right. Who ends up with the yeah with the rebel in his car without realizing because he wants to get laid, and then yeah. goes like, "Don't you want to pray?" Like that's one that would be laughed at. Well, and the other thing with these jokes is like that so many people kind of stumbling into these situations, and they don't they're trying 
they actually don't have a preference for either side. Like they're sort of in a neutral space. They're sort of like, oh, do I say this? Do I say that? Well, they're also kind of forced to because yeah, it's, it's kind, kind of, of the, and I think that's through. also perhaps right. of, once again making fun of them for the fear and for the, yeah. and also sort of the litmus test of what would you do if you were in the situation, and and people kind of almost ridiculing themselves, especially men, effeminizing themselves in that situation. So there's. Islamist terrorists enter a, this is the way the joke goes, enter a couple's home in the middle of the night. They enter into their bedroom and wake them up, get them out of bed. The leader of the group turns to the woman and says, what's your name? She says, my name's Aisha. He says, Aisha, okay. You know, that's my mother's name. So I'm going to let you live. I'm going to let you go. Turns to the guy and says, what's your name? He says, and this is in Arabic, Ismi Muhammad, bisahf al-huma, kunnasa yismunia. Aisha. Uh-huh. So my name is Muhammad, but everyone in the neighborhood calls me Aisha, <laughs> which is a kind of, it's a kind of, this is the kind of thing that people would laugh at because it's still kind of effeminizing. But the fact that he would adopt his wife's name, and that these men have the power to come into his house is, yeah. is one of the ways that this works in tandem with some of the rumors of sort of the omnipresence and omnip- yeah. omnipotence of the, of the groups. Sure. So uh, another kind of omnipresent theme, I guess, is this checkpoint is the fake yeah, checkpoint. Yeah. Can you... Just elaborate, what, what's going on with these fake checkpoints? Why are they such an important trope in the world of humor during the war? Um, I think that they uh, that they are really, it's a way to bring out different, to talk about different sections of society that people might traditionally have, or people sort of traditionally laughed at more. It's kind of laughing at the man who's effeminate or laughing at the, which is, you know, just the way that it's an Algerian cultural thing. Not an Algerian cultural thing, not everybody, but just to really generalize and pray with a really broad brush. Um or an older woman who's like sexually repressed, or to make fun of a pervert. And some of the jokes also make fun of Kabyles for being specific to their, which is a region within, Kabylie is a region within Algeria. Um, it has its own sort of, and, and they have sort of created their own sort of ethno-linguistic identity. And so I think it's a way to kind of, sort of a litmus test of like, what would you do? And what would you, how would you respond if you were in this situation? And a way to kind of play with, these these individuals and these folks that people would have would be making fun of before in a period previously. So there's another joke about a woman, and this is probably the most prominent joke, is that a woman is on a bus. The bus falls into a barrage, and it's a bus full of women. And the it turns out that it is it's a fake checkpoint. So it's the terrorist criminals or just rebels um, come up onto the bus and say, "Okay, we're gonna all the women, we're gonna rape you all." And young woman stands up because she's sitting next to this really old, like, 70-year-old woman. And she's like, I'm really sorry, but, like, you know, could you just really give her an exception? Like, look how, look at this. The, what about the older woman? Like, what are you, how can you rape these, like, older women? And the older woman pipes up and says, hey, shut up. He said all, it's all. He said all the women, it's all the women. It works better in French. Um, this joke works better in French. But the the idea of sort of, like, the horny older woman who would actually rather be raped than not raped. Yeah. yeah, which is a weird, it's a weird, really kind of dark, dark humor. Is this use of humor specific to Algeria, or did you notice... Um, did you notice a similar trend in other conflicts, um, let's say during um, the Arab Spring or in other places? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I'm starting to look into um, different Arab Spring, but there's a there's a difference in that this is not as resistance. There's a I mean, a lot of the jokes in the Arab Spring are very. We're going to make fun of Mubarak, and we're going to make fun of his penis size, and we're going to say that he has a very small. You know, we're going to call a, a pigeon my pigeon or whatever, and making fun of his of his penis and making fun of his family. And that and that to me is very similar to jokes. I find a lot more similarities between the Arab Spring jokes. Um, and the difference, what was the one in Tunisia with the Ben Ali, like 404, like not found? Because that was whenever you would, and Ben Ali's regime, when you try to get onto, um, after, you know, the advent of the internet, when you would try to get onto certain sites that the state would censor. Um, for instance, at the beginning of the, the revolution in December 2010, and then, or no, wait, yeah, 2010, and then 2000, January 2011, um, if there were, there were, you know, events going on, like what's going on, and, um, city Busid, like what's going on, you know, and people, and you would try to get into foreign website, foreign news coverage of what was going on, and then you would find like four or four not found, like HTTP, whatever. And so there was this big joke where they had a picture of Ben Ali, like four or four not found, because he had he had left the country and he had fled in Tunis. And so there are a lot of these jokes that are really could be kind of viewed or seen as these weapons of the weak and sort of kind of resistance type of humor that I think falls into paradigm falls into what people have looked at in different contexts. For instance, looking at Stalin jokes on the Soviet Union, which is a big a lot of historians have looked at at Stalin jokes, um, or at Soviet humor as a big thing, or Nazi humor in Czechoslovakia during um during World War Two and under in Norway, there's Kathleen Stoker's Folkfights Nazis and looking really at the sort of resistance and, and sort of making fun of leaders. But I really see that being paralleled with some of the jokes that come in the in the 1980s, and specifically in the period between 1988 and 1991, 1992, when Algeria has a sort of brief period of quote unquote democracy, where there are there are multiple parties. Of course, it's not a perfect democracy, and there's still limitations. So I see more of a connection in terms of humor being used kind of as a weapon to make fun of the other, rather than to being sort of self-deprecating. And a good example of this is there's a lot of jokes against. Um, Abbasid Medeni, who was one of the leaders of the feast. And there are a number of jokes about him, um, and some of them put into question his, almost sort of his religious authority and his right to speak as, despite having been a teacher, a professor of theology, you know, people are fine with Islam having a place in, in politics and in governments. And in, this, in, the, in the fact that nobody, even the most sort of liberal parties are against, you know, the state saying like, we are, you know, Islam is our religion, is, you know, Islam will have a place in the Constitution, for instance, or just kind of pay lip service to Islam. Like, nobody's really against, nobody wants to do away with that. The idea is to keep people who want to advocate for some sort of Sharia law being integrated into the government. That's the, the big split. Yeah. The 80s is where I see sort of a break, where you start to see jokes that are really, as especially post-88, as there are now more parties coming up and people are now in a political competition, a lot of jokes that are kind of similar to the sort of Arab Spring ones and that you do see sort of resistance against. Well, let's make fun of the feast. And there's a great joke, actually. So the feast and means the, the, the Front Islamique du Salut, the Islamic Salvation Front. And Jibhat al-Islamiyya lil-Niqad, Niqad, which is the Algerian Salvation Front, or the National, or, sorry, the Islamic Salvation Front in Arabic. Um, but the acronym is the FIS, le FIS, which is how you say it in French, and that's the same. It's a homonym for the word sun. And some people think that that was purposeful because they wanted to relate, to, pre- to present the FIS as being really the true sons of the revolution, that the FLN had strayed from the true revolutionary values of the Algerian 
revolution against the French. But so there's this joke that a guy who really, really, really is like freaked out about the fees, who really is kind of afraid about like the rising, you know, popularity of this Islamist party. His wife gets pregnant and they go into the, um, the operating room. She has the delivery room. She has the baby. The guy, the doctor turns to him and says, oh, you have a son. C'est votre fils. Ah, fils, tu as des fils, quoi? Vous avez des fils? Like, you just said fils, like you just said son, like what? Like, I have a what? And he kind of freaks out, but it's sort of this, that the kind of poking fun at the fils and being like, you know, you're kind of like the boogeyman because people don't, people are freaked out by you. And if there's any comedy during this period that really seems like it's resisting or it's very divisive or very, um, or really targeting someone in particular or an institution in particular, it's on the part of cartoonists, many of whom decided to support the state not necessarily because they were coerced by the state or forced by the state to do this, but um, but we're drawing a lot of cartoons that were trying to depict um, the rebels as being dumb, dirty, backwards. Returning to the, the, the Middle Ages was a common a common thread and a common theme. There's a cartoonist, Slim, Slim, who's one of the most famous Algerian cartoonists. He's seen as almost kind of like the godfather, the grandfather of Algerian cartooning, um, who creates this sort of Algerian everyman, Bouzid, um, who has famous adventures about the 60s and 70s and 80s. Um, he has his character in a newspaper, Agir Actualité, which was the main uh, magazine, one of the few publications under the one-party system. During the elections in, in 1991, 1992, the legislative elections, when it seems like the fees are going to win, he starts announcing, you know, it's even, he has his character kind of saying, it's even better for us to go back to 1965 and to have a military regime then to go back to 1411 and to go back to the Middle Ages by allowing this this backwards retrograde party to come to power. And a lot of the cartoonists do this. Some of them do break with us, and there's a split in the press. So cartoons and jokes at this time, it was a way of people trying to make sense of what was going on, but then also thinking about where this period fit into their broader history and commenting on history as it was unfolding. And so there's this great, there's this joke that really shows this, which is a joke that begins... If you did not find housing during the time of Ben Bala, who was the first president of Algeria, and this is right after independence, and so when people were able to kind of snatch up homes that were um, that had previously been Pianoir or yeah. European settlers' homes, then you will never find housing. If you were not educated under Boumedien, and this was a time the 70s was known as sort of a height of really good education in Algeria, then you will never get education. If you didn't make money during the time of Shadli, who's the third president, um, who opened up the system sort of liberalization and allowed some, a lot of, there was a lot of corruption during the time, but there was some money and then there was the oil crisis. It didn't really, but, but anywho, if you had made, if you didn't make money during his time, you'll never make money. If you didn't make love during the time of Budiev, which is sort of a strange, he was a very short lived president, very, you know, he was that one who was assassinated. So short lived is a really bad term to use, but, um, uh, was only in power for a few months, but maybe perhaps this is sort of a sign of, saying the make love part is sort of a sign of this was going to be the end of like a liberal period because right after his death and terrorism becomes more and more common in Algeria and random acts of violence start to break up and then, the, and then really the conflict gets underway. Um, but if you didn't make love during the time of, of um, Boudiaf, you'll never make love. And if you didn't die during the time of Zeruel, who's the president from 94 to 99, this is the height of massacres um, and killings and when most people who die during conflict um, die, then you will never, then you will never die. And so there's different ways of understanding the periodization of Algerian history.
which is, I think, a good joke. So what's amazing about this historical joke that you told is that the punchline, the final punchline at least, deals with the mortality of the joke teller, him or herself. And that's a common theme through these jokes that they frequently, the subject of them is actually the the people themselves, the civilians. And the punchline the, is sort of, yeah. I mean, who is, who is at fault? And it's not, to me, surprising that they would that people sort of recognize their own powerlessness and and then that becomes a subject of uh, of humor. But it's still a little shocking that so many jokes are targeted at civilians, their fallibility, their flaws, their... Their fear in front of death and their yeah. ability to even kind of forsake other people. I mean, I think that maybe concludes well um, our conversation here on a note of uh, ambiguity ambivalence, strange position that civilians were in during the war. Uh, How they use humor to kind of get around it, I guess, or or get through it. Well, Liz, um, I want to thank you for sharing your work and thanks for for joining us. Um, Really fascinating topic. I mean, a new look, a topic in a period that has received a lot of scholarly attention, but um, not from this angle, which I think is really novel and, and unique. Thank you so much for having me on and for getting to elaborate some of the ideas that are in the dissertation. Of course. Uh, please do check our website, tajin.ottomanhistorypodcast.com uh, for more information, a bibliography, and some, um, some images related to Liz's work. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tajin. Tajin.